All right, so let's dive into today. Today we're going to be talking about this series we started last week called Mr. and Mrs. Wrong. All right, and we're, we're leaning into this desire that all of us at some point in our life, we've had this desire to look out and to find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. But then wrong things happen, bad things happen. And so what we're leaning into is how can we be a church? How can we be a people, whether you're married, single, divorced, widowed, whatever it may be, how can we be a people who gets relationships right? And so last week, we leaned heavy into this thing called pride, and we talked about how pride was this thing that can undermine our relationships, that the root of every broken relationship is pride. We talked about how pride is this desire that says, I see myself above everyone else. I see myself above everyone else. And we entered into this reality that in regards to relationships, especially romantic relationships, pride always divides. If pride was something that was strong enough to, to create the divide between heaven and hell and the divide between creation and creator, then you dang sure better believe pride is something that's strong enough to put a divide in a marriage, in a dating relationship, and really any relationship between humans. Now today, we're gonna talk about the flip side of pride, and today we're gonna talk about another relationship killer. But before we dive into that, I want to hopefully enter into a place where we can ask a big question together, all right? A big question together around our lives. See, the opposite of pride is humility, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but humility is this realization that I am not here on earth for everything, people, places, things, the government, whoever, I don't exist for things to serve me. I exist to serve God and to serve other people. That, that's a, a posture of humility. And we follow after this posture because that's a posture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who said, I didn't come to this earth, though I could have. I did not come here to be served, but to serve and to give my life up as a ransom for many. And last week, and I loved, I love, man, if you have a cool story on this, I'd love to hear how it went. Last week, I kicked you out of here and I gave you the charge to ask your spouse, person you're dating, somebody in your life to ask them this question, how can I help? And I'd love to hear how that went. I know kind of how it went for mine. I ended up doing a whole lot more chores this week, which was to the honor and glory of God. And it was, it was beautiful. And here's what, in regards to serving, I want to ask you, because today we're getting ready to talk about a new relationship killer called greed. And again, greed's rooted in pride, but today we're gonna walk in greed. And we're gonna talk about greed. And I think the question that greed, uh, we have to ask as we begin a conversation on greed is really tied into that's who are we serving and, and what do we want to serve us side of things. And so the question on this is, are you serving God or money? Are you serving God or money? I'm gonna let you think about that for a second because today's gonna be a whiteboard kind of day. So get ready. Get ready, get ready. Are you serving God or money? You got your answer? Okay. Now I want you to think about your answer, not like I asked you. Because I don't know what you did with your stimulus check. I don't know your family budget. I haven't been to Target with you. Answer that question like Jesus just asked you that question. Are you serving God or money? It's a, it's a different thing. I don't, try, I, like I'm not, I don't need you to impress me. The God of the universe who created you is here in this room with you, and he wants to change your life. If you're online, hear, you, hear me on this. Jesus wants to change your life. 
But in every relationship, honesty and trust and like you being able to be honest with God is the baseline foundation for life change to happen. We've got to admit really where we're at. So are we serving God? Are we serving money? See, the Bible actually lays out a really clear definition of how we are supposed to, in the context of a romantic relationship, be connected. But what we have to understand and realize is that if we ask that question, are you serving God or money? If you're in this room and you're married, what that means is you can't just answer that question as an individual. You now have to ask, do we serve God or serve money? Now, listen, if one person could create a problem, how much more can two people create? Like, there is much more room for collateral damage if both of us are serving money and not serving God. And so it's really critical that if we're in that context, we answer this right. Jesus said in Luke 16, 13, he said, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. He said, you cannot serve both God and money. So the implications are huge. The number one thing that couples fight about money. Number one thing. So implications of how we answered this are huge. And I want to teach you something. All right? Whiteboard time. Now listen, I know I'm a great artist. I don't need you guys to email me and, and clog up my email with how great I am at artwork. Um, just don't email me on those things. I know I'm good. Just keep me humble. This is a triangle. God intends for your marriage to be a love triangle, not as soap operas define it, but as his word defines it. And here's what I mean by that. You got him, and you got her. We'll just put a big M right here. That's, that's marriage, okay? Him and her, we're here. We get married, all right? Him and her, him and her. They get married. Now, even though most marriages have some sort of Bible verses at them, not all marriages are under the context and not all are seeking to serve God. But a good biblical marriage is going to say, at the center of this is, in fact, God. And if things are happening the way they should be happening, what happens in this context is instead of me saying, oh, Jessica, I'm going to run after you, and I'm going to get unified with you, and I'm going to learn everything I can about you, and I'm going to do all that, and I'm going to do all this. If I go and I just pursue her to try to get to know her, to be infatuated with her and everything else, you know what I've made her? I've made her God. And if she does the same thing for me, looks for me for provision, protection, all of those things, to give her and build her all of her self-esteem, then I've just become her God. And here's the thing about us as gods. We make bad ones. And so what we have to do is to say for her and for him, our aim is actually not at each other. Our pursuit is actually not at each other. Our pursuit, our thing, not a thing, but a person that we're running wholeheartedly out is God. God the Father, Jesus the Son, Holy Spirit's work and move in our life. So what happens in here is she wakes up before the kids start asking and begging and pleading for stuff. And she gets in the Word of God. She prays, even a short prayer, even if it's the coming down the stairs prayer, Lord, help me, these kids are already awake. Like, whatever it is. Him, all right, he runs after God. He says, you know what? It is beautiful today out. And we could, you know, go fishing. I could go play golf. 
But I know that oftentimes, so the father goes, so the family goes, and so we're going to church. And so he brings them. And what happens is this distance that was here, as they go closer to God, it actually becomes less. They are actually going closer together because their emphasis wasn't on going closer together. Their emphasis and their pursuit was to go after God. And what happens is they actually grew closer together. And you walk into some houses with some old saints, and they're about up here. Now, there's some of them in this church. And I want to be like them. I want to be in the rocking chair. I want to be at O'Charlie's with nothing to talk about. Because I already know everything about you. You know everything about me. And we're good with it. We may talk about how good these roles are. We may pray that this place doesn't close down. But we're here. And we're close to God. Now, here's what I want you to know. And young people, we get this wrong. Middle-aged people, we get this wrong. People who are not young or middle-aged, they get this wrong too. Nothing else works like this. You can't put anything else on top and grow closer together as you're pursuing that thing. I've counseled and I've watched, and sometimes I fall susceptible to this, of putting kids up here. It doesn't work. Kids make a terrible God. Terrible God. And they will drive you two apart because they were just this science fair project that you had in your house for 18 years, and then they left. And they're not a project anymore. They're doing their own thing. Also up here, can't be even like coming to servant church. Like that nothing else works up here. Because this is, it's, more, it's, simple, it's, it's less complicated than we make it. If what Jesus says is true, that you can't serve both God and money, then what makes us think that we could serve spouse and God and be able to have it right. If money couldn't do it, then spouse can't do it either. And so you either have a triangle and you're going closer to God and closer together or you have this shape. Again, same old, same old. We got him and we got her and they're married. And this is where we put anything else up here. I think the number one thing and what we're going to lean into today that I think people put up here to say, are we going to serve God? Most people, instead of we're going to serve God, and I've been susceptible to this too, is we say we're going to serve money. We're going to serve money. We're going to go where we need to go. We're going to do what we need to do. We're going to take what we got to take, overtime where we got to overtime, because we serve money and all the good things that come from it. And most marriages, this is where they start out. Most relationships, they're even in dating process right now. This is where they're at. And so, because we want to serve money, (laughs) that's an R. See, I told you guys. Her, we serve money. She's going to get extra hours because she wants new shoes. Real good new shoes. Like a lot of new shoes. Shoes that I know kind of look like shoes she already has. But these have a silver strap not a black strap. <laughs> he's going to be over here. And he's going to say, let's go to Kansas. Because if I go to Kansas, we'll get a $10,000 raise. Even though it uproots us from our whole family, moves us halfway across the country to a place that's flatter than a pancake with no mountains, no trees, good people, 
But that's about it. And we're gonna miss all the things that matter to us the most. But look, we got a $10,000 raise. She's over here saying, you know what? I, I, I'm not cool staying home with these kids. Send them to school. She goes out. She works and she works and she works. She gets a new job. She works her way up that ladder. And she comes to the place where she doesn't really even know the kids either. And it's a place of resentment in the marriage because that's not what the husband anticipated because he grew up in a house where mom stayed home. And when she's working, he feels like everything is being undermined. Regard the fact that the kids are well-fed, well-educated, and well-rounded. But it's not what he expected. So what happens is they're even further apart. See, what's happening here is when you put anything other than God at the top as your pursuit, what will happen is you may have started out actually compatible, actually getting along with each other. But as it goes, you'll get further and further apart. Further and further apart. So if God's design for marriage is to be in this divine love triangle, do you know what this shape is called? Some people said it. Most people don't know like me. So I feel much better about myself. So this week, true story, guys. True story this week. I write this on a piece of paper and I send a text message to Jessica and I send a text message to my staff. And I go, hey, guys, uh, to Jessica, hey, hey, Jess, what shape is this? Is this a rhomboid? Question mark. And I sent the same thing to the staff. I was like, what shape is this? And they start telling me back. They start telling me back. It's trapezoid. And I was like, no way. I thought it was a rhomboid. Turns out a rhomboid is like a shoulder muscle or something. I don't know why I thought that was a rhomboid. Uh, but they're all laughing at me and calling me, I feel like a big dumb jock because uh, I know muscles but not shapes. <laughs> but I thought this was crazy. Is it not? And again, I just drew a piece of paper, threw it on a piece of paper, going like, and again, this is not me, this is the Holy Spirit. Like, I just drew it on a piece of paper saying, like, that's what I've seen happen. I've counseled enough marriage, I've done enough premarital counseling to see when you put anything other than God at the top as your primary pursuit, it only leads you further and further and further apart. But when you put God up there, as you grow closer to Him, you grow closer together. And to figure out this is called a trap? What? A trapezoid. So here's the deal. In your marriage, you are either going to have a triangle, a love triangle of God, divine love triangle, or you're going to find yourself in a trap. And so my, my question is, what are you in right now? And, it, and if you're going, hey, I'm not married yet, it doesn't, it doesn't apply to me. No, 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 it still does. Are you pursuing God? Because if you don't learn how to pursue him before you're married, what makes you think you'll pursue him once you're married? So what are you in? Are you in a triangle where you're going closer to God and because you're going closer to God and the other person's going closer to God, you're actually going closer together? Or do you find yourself in a trap or something else, whether it's kids, whether it's uh, events, fun, pleasure, whatever it is, money, are you at a place where you're in a trap? Today, I want to walk you through a passage of scripture that I think better than anything else can help us stay out of this trap. If you got a Bible, grab it, go to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 7. Or actually, verse 6. 1 Timothy, verse 6. Paul is writing to his protege, Timothy, a guy who he's sending out to do ministry work, and he's trying to help him know how to help people in regards to life in general, all the aspects of life, whether that's money, whether that's time, whether that's how to be devoted to God, understanding the gospel, all those things. He's trying to help them get that. And he talks to him about very practical things here that we need to lean into. 
to avoid finding ourselves in the trap that money can create in our lives. First Timothy 6, 6 and 7. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. See that contentment, that word right there, contentment, is the reason why so many marriages fail. Because you get two people and they're very different. They have different personalities, they have different ideas. And, and what happens because of that is they have different definitions of what contentment is. And one person will be content when they get this. And again, I would even put content in quotation marks because really we're not. And another person will be content when they get this. And what often happens in romantic relationships is opposites attract. It's kind of one of God's laws of nature. And because of that, oftentimes, someone who is a saver, saves money, likes to save money, feels secure when they're saving money, marries a spender, likes to do fun things, likes to go on vacations, likes to eat at O'Charlie's, all those fun things. And then they get married. And they have arguments. Unless you're one of those people and it's two savers married each other. Now you still argue because one person wants to save it this way and one person wants to save it this way. Let's do an IRA. Let's do a 401k. Let's bury it under a hole in the backyard. Let's not do that. That's dumb. They get in arguments. Now the spenders, two spenders marry each other, that's where you'll have fun. (laughs) For a little while. And then you won't. (laughs) And so we've got to get on the same page in our relationships about where contentment comes from. And we've got to call each other out when contentment is not coming from Christ, who God is and what he's doing in us. And if you're here in the room and you're dating or you're, you know, a young person in the room and you're, this is something that maybe you'll in, enter into at some point in your life of trying to figure out who a spouse will be, of figuring out, is this the right person for me? How they handle contentment is a great thing that nobody's looking at. Because a lot of times, you know, the big question is, you know, and, and this is the right person to be a spouse or should I date this person? One of the honest, we're honest with ourselves, one of the questions is, is, well, how much money do they have? And maybe you never ask them that on a first date. You know, what's your 401k like? Or, you know, you know what's your family? You know, where's, do y'all have a lake house? Um, we don't ask those things as we're dating somebody. And what I'm inviting you to do is the best advice I, can, I think I can give you from dating side of things today is don't date somebody based off of how much money they have. Date someone based off of how they manage that money. If all the other things are compatible, they're pursuing God, and you're looking at that category trying to figure out, okay, are we compatible in regards to money? In regards to who's greedy, who's not greedy? It's not about how much they have. It's about how well they manage it. Ladies in the room, you may disagree with me, that's fine. But I would take, if I was you, a guy who is broke but has a very well thought through budget than the guy who's spending his parents' money. Now, it may feel good for him to spend his parents' money on you, but at some point, they're going to stop paying for his cell phone bill, his health insurance, his car insurance, and his truck payment, all right? And you got to know what you're going to do when that runs out, all right? Guys in the room, they may have a vacation house in Hawaii, and that may sound adventurous, but bro, if she's used to just poking that lip out just a little bit, and getting everything she wants from her mom and her dad. You got to know that you're walking into that, big guy. So be aware. All right? Let me quit meddling in your lives and get back to God's word. <laughs> Verse 8 and 9. Because none of those things ever happen in real life, right? Paul goes on. He says, okay. But if we have food or clothing. And again, he doesn't say if we have Coach purses, Louis Vuitton outfits, and 
we eat out at O'Charlie's. Man, I'm really craving O'Charlie's right now. If we eat out at O'Charlie's every single meal, he just says, if you got food and clothing, he doesn't elaborate, just food and clothing, we will be content with that, which we all roll our eyes and go, no. He keeps going. And then he says this, and this is huge, verse nine. Those who want to get rich. Is that everybody, right? We got all of us, right? It's an all skate, those who want to get rich. I don't think there's anybody in this room who's going, I don't want to get rich. I just want to earn a lot of money so I can give it all away. Nobody's in, nobody in here is saying that. Let's all be honest. We all want to get rich. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge themselves into ruin and destruction. Okay, now, I want you to see the process of what happens here. See, the trap is real. But Paul makes it really clear that before the trap is what? Temptation. Okay? Before the trap is always temptation. There's always something that's going to lead you to fall into the trap. So we can't get mad that we're in the trap and go, God, I just had no idea. No, there was always temptation there. And God says whenever there's a temptation, there's always a way out. Is it a sin to be tempted? No. He says we fall into temptation into a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires. Now again, you know what your foolish and harmful desires are in regards to greed. And these are tied to the root idols that we worship. Let me, idols. I didn't plan on going here, but we'll go there. Let's talk about idols for a little bit. Comfort. Security. Power. Um, no, I know it. Took a second. Holy Spirit's on my, on my side today. Okay. We spend money to serve, not God, but to serve one of these four root idols in life. I'll spend money to make myself comfortable. This is, hey, we're going to go on a cool vacation. We're going to, you know, have fun. We're going to feel good about good. Security. This is, well, I'm actually not going to spend money. I'm going to not do anything, and I'm going to work, 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 so I can save, 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 save. No, my kids won't know my name, but um, they'll have a great college fund. Security. Power. Well, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to sacrifice these ways, and I'm going to do these things so that I can get the job where people will respect me. Approval. Well, They'll just know I have clout when I wear this type of shoes. They'll know I'm in or I'm, I'm, you know, I have this lifestyle. If I, if I can buy these and afford these for a picture and then I can post that and then even though I only have one of those, like I'll post that and it'll be there and then I'll have the approval and I'll, because I drive this truck or I do this thing, then um, I'll show to the world that I really am more of a man than I really feel like I am on the inside. See, we spend the money to serve the idol because that's kind of what we worship instead of God. And so what he's saying here is that you fall into this trap because you have those harmful desires. And it says they plunge people, this is verse nine, it says they plunge people into ruin and destruction. Again, that's where Mrs. Right becomes Mrs. Wrong. That's where Mr. Right becomes Mr. Wrong because there were those desires. Verse 10, it says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Again, that verse gets misquoted a lot. We say, the, we say money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
No, it's not. That's like saying this table is the root of all evil. It's an inanimate object. It has no positive or negative traits about it. It's just neutral. Money is neutral. You're not a bad person because you have a lot of it. You're not a good person because you have next to none of it. It's neutral. The love of money. A love that replaces the love of God. A love that says this will satisfy, this will provide, this will bring security. A love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, eager for money, listen to what it says here, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. As I was studying this, one of the things I realized about this wondering, um, the, the way it spells it is the W-A-N-D-E-R, wondering, which is like, I'm just wandering around. It's, just, it's, it's the wondering of, well, I'm just going to wander into Marshall's and see if anything's on sale. $200 later, they did. It's the, I'm just going to wander in to the Sea-Doo store and see if, if, if what a jet ski is like. How hard is it to ride a jet ski? Like, can I get a jet ski? Like, I don't want a jet ski. I just want to see. I just want to see what they're like. I wonder, I wonder what the trade-in value of this car is. I don't want a new one. I just wonder what this is. So I'll go down to Jim Ellis Toyota and just ask him about it. I wonder. I think what happens before we W-A-N-D-E-R into places where we're tempted is we actually W-O-N-D-E-R, we wonder. We wonder what would my life be like if I had this. I wonder if they would notice me if I dressed this way. I wonder if my parents would be proud of me if we moved into that neighborhood. I wonder all about these things, and I wonder if that voice in my head of my father who's been dead and gone for years and years, I wonder if he would finally say, I'm proud of you if I was able to afford this. See, oftentimes before we ever get feet to wander into a place to do something that we shouldn't have done, we wonder what life would have been like. Let me just pause here because we are in a marriage series, kind of relationships. This is not just a money thing. It's also a person thing. I feel the Holy Spirit talking to me here in this moment and uh, I think there may be some people, whether you're online or in person, you're wondering what it would be like to have a different spouse. And my prayer for you right now in the seriousness of this room is that you would not go to W-A-N-D-E-R-I-N-G, wondering. Stop wondering about it right now. And go and look at the wonder and the beauty of the spouse that he's given you. Because, yeah, you guys hit it off in high school. And, yeah, you reconnected on Facebook. But you entered into this thing called a covenant, not a contract. This is a covenant. And if he's really at the top, then you don't have a way out. So stop wondering about a way out. He says, when we do this wondering that leads to wandering we pierce ourselves with trials and we run into harmful things and you guys know what animal Jesus referred to us as right sheep not wolves not lions not even kangaroos like not even koala not even something that was cute and cuddly defenseless like sheep like the dumbest no claws 
No, not sharp teeth. Like they're, I mean, nothing. Just sheep. That's us. A prone to a very, like if you, like there's a scale of prone to wonder animals. Like sheep are all the way over here at the most prone to wonder. And that's what our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who happens, just so happens to be the great shepherd, identified us as. So this is what happens in so many of our lives. We're wandering in. And no sheep that's ever wandered away ever found the protection or the provision that it needed away from the shepherd. They get eaten by wolves. They fall into ditches and get stuck. They fall off cliffs and drown. That's what happens when we wander. So he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, I want to just pause for a second here. And I know I'm going to ruin this size with all the economic craziness that we've seen happen over the course of this past year. I know some of you right now in this very moment where you're watching online, you're here in person, you're in a place of financial stress. Like, it's real. And I want to specifically talk to the couples in the room if you're in a place of financial stress. Ladies in the room, if you're in a marriage right now and you're in a place of a lot of financial stress, here's something I need you to understand about your husband. There's never been a time more than his life than at this very moment where he is questioning if he can do this. There's never been a time ever in his life where he is questioning his self-worth than right now. Because for us as guys, whether or not we can provide and make enough money to serve this family or to do these things and to take care of those things, that's where we find our self-worth in. And so there's never been a time anymore in his life where he is questioning his self-worth than right now if your family is struggling financially. And so ladies, all due respect, what he does not need is you to turn into a chihuahua and to bite and yip and yip and bark and bark and bark and remind him, you shouldn't have bought those jet skis. I was stupid about those jet skis. He knows, he, trust me, he knows those stupid already. He doesn't need you to turn into that. Fellas in the room, you need to understand something. If you're going through a time of stress in your marriage right now, your wife is fearful and angry in places that we don't even have. There's this security gland that they have, and it is spasming at this moment right now in, in a place of financial stress. There is a worry level that they can get to that we, it's not even on our radar, guys. And so maybe what she needs is two to three non-sexual hugs a week. There are such a thing, by the way. A hug that's not trying to lead to anything. A hug that is just a simple indication. I'm here with you. We are in this together. And we're going to get through this together. As that sign. See, what happens when, when couples get into financial stress is one person wants to downplay it. Most of the time, that's, I mean, again, I'm, just, I'm, I'm using gender roles. It's not always, your marriage may be completely different. The men... We want to say, hey, we're going to downplay this. Fellas, she doesn't need you to downplay it. Tell her it's real. Tell her you understand it. Let her know fully that you understand the reality and the severity of this situation. Don't downplay it. But at the same time, we're not going to downplay it. Ladies, don't tear him down. You're stuck with him. Okay? 
Don't tear him down because if you tear him down, there's going to be nobody there to help it build back up. So you've got to work together and realize this is not your thing. This is not my thing. This is our thing. And we're going to work together to understand that we are both very different. And if we're going to get through this, we're going to have to help and care for each other very differently than maybe we would think. And you can't serve and care and love her, fellas, the way you think you should navigate through this. Ladies in the room, you, you, can't, you can't lead him the way that you feel like you need to be led through this. You've got to understand that in regards to both of these things, he's struggling with his self-esteem and you're struggling with security. And both of you have to serve each other on those two wavelengths. Got it? Jesus was talking about this kind of on the same idea in Matthew 13, 22. He was given this parable about seeds and then falling on good soil and bad soil. And in that conversation, he said that seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, that's the gospel, but worries, the worries of this life and the, underline these three words, deceitfulness of wealth. We're in Matthew 13, 22, the deceitfulness of wealth. So he's saying, hey, we all hear the gospel, and the gospel should bear fruit in our life. It, it should put fruit in our trees. We should live fruitful lives if we've heard the gospel. And I think that's fruitful relationally, that's fruitful spiritually, and I believe that's also even fruitful fiscally in our lives, fruitful lives. But he says, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word. And so the seed that was planted can't bear fruit because the deceitfulness of wealth choked out the word. Now, question. Did wealth choke out the word? No. Because again, wealth isn't inherently a bad thing. You can have wealth and have the word prospering and growing in your life. What choked out the word? The deceitfulness of wealth. And see, that's what we don't ever talk about. We don't talk about how deceitful wealth is. We just want it. We, don't never, we never lean into how deceitful it is. The lies that wealth tells, the lies that come in and whisper and get you to believe, I did this. I got this degree. I spent sleepless nights. I crammed. I worked hard. I swept floors. I did all these things. Now I've been promoted. Now I've got this job. Now I did this. All this money is mine. And the lie that says, the deceitfulness of wealth, that says, I just need a little bit more. If we just had a little bit more, we'd be good. If I just had a little bit more, we'd be good. Just a little bit more and we'd be good. And the lie that says, I'm good. Because we have so much, we can eat, drink, and be merry. Nothing bad can ever happen to us because we got a lot of money. <laughs> I've pastored a lot of those kids. The parents with all the money in the world that can't stop their kids from overdosing on drugs. It's not a security blanket. See, that's why I talk about this idea that in financial stress, a woman is looking for security and a man is looking for esteem. See, both of us should be looking for those from Jesus. To go, Jesus, you are my security. And for us as guys, I'm going, Jesus, you are my esteem. I know I'm not enough, but you have come and you have shown me the way to live as a man of God. And because of that, you're living in me and I can be that man of God. And my worth isn't defined by whether or not I have a job right now or I'm making money right now. My worth is defined by how much you paid for me and you paid it all. So I'm worth enough. And my security is not in the things of this world. It's on the creator of this world. And friends, that's what I'm inviting us into. A life that doesn't get caught up in the deceitfulness of wealth. I want to end by showing you how Paul 
He goes through all these things, talks about how bad things can get, and then he lands the plane by talking about, okay, hold on, here's what you need to do now. And so I'm gonna walk you quickly through this of, hey, here's what we do. If you don't wanna get caught up in this trap, look at Jesus, see how great he is, and then lean into what God is doing. Look at verse 11. He says, but you, man of God, flee, flee, like run, which is crazy because I look at Paul's verbs, all right? So he talks about the first one, the first verb that he's talking about when you're, when you're you know, lured into spending, you're lured into greed. He says, you wander into it. You don't wander fast. Again, you wander. I wonder, I'm wandering into Target to see what they got today. You wander slow. But when he says, here's the way out, he says, flee. You don't flee slow. You flee fast. He said, if you've got to get out of this, there's got to be quick, intentional action. Both of you, pick up a shovel. You don't need to throw him under the bus. Just, just both of us agree. We need to sell the bus and move on and figure some things out and make some changes. Flee, flee, flee. He says, flee from all this. And I love this next passage. Look at the last part of this, of verse 11. He says, flee all of this desire, this lust for greed. Get, get out of the greed trap. And here's how. Flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. It's as if Jesus knew that we make lists when we get extra money. Here's all the things I'm going to buy. Ooh, that stimmy just hit. Here's a list. I want to do this to the house. I want to do this to the house. We're going to put this amount here, this amount here. We're going to put all this list. Jesus knows that in regards to greed, we make lists of the things we want. He says, replace the things that you think you want in this life with the one thing you actually need, a God who can give you righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Here's a list for you. And then verse 12, he says, fight the good fight, which is his way of saying this life of generosity is not gonna be easy. You're gonna have to fight against everything in you that wants to build a life that's comfortable, secure, powerful, and the world approves of. You're gonna have to fight against that. He says, then take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And friends, you cannot take hold of eternal life if you are gripping the dollars you have. He said, you can't serve both. You can't hold both either. So today, I want to ask you this question. Are you ready? Like, are you ready to actually be different and less greedy? Let's hungry for more of what you think you need. One of the last things that Paul told Timothy in this passage, in verse 18, skip on down there. He says, they're to do good. And when he talks about they there, he's talking about all the rich people, which again, that's all of us. He says, all the rich people in the world, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasures for themselves, as a foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. See, Paul was trying to tell Timothy the same thing I'm trying to tell you. There's a life out there that is truly life that I believe, sadly, many of you are not experiencing. There's a life out there that is truly life that many of us are not experiencing. And the thing that's keeping us from experiencing that life is greed. Jesus made it really clear. If you want to save your life, then you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. A life that is truly life. That's not about what you have, but who has you. He said this. If you are rich, which again, that's us. And I'm going to leave you with some application point. Like, hey, go do something. He says, if you are rich, 
be rich in good works. Which I think is, is, is his way of saying is that you're not rich when you have something good. You're rich when you do something good. And right, like we've experienced that, right? That the times when you've had the richest, most plentiful and, and, and like good memories in your life were not the times like, of the times when I really felt God move were not the times when I went and bought something nice. Like I just bought something nice and I felt good for a little while and then there's some remorse done there. But the times when I was able to take some of what God has given me and give it, we have, a, we have a kid that Jessica and I sponsor. His name is Evans Marie, and I sponsored him because he had a birthday that was similar to Titus, and he actually kind of just looked like a darker version of Titus when they were both little. And what's been awesome and what gives me great joy every time I open my refrigerator is I see this young man growing. Him and Titus are right around the same age, and I see the impact that how we generously serve. And so as I get ready to, to open my fridge and get my own food out, I'm reminded to pray for Marie. He's got food. But I'm not just praying for Marie. There's money that goes to Marie. And that brings me more joy than anything I could buy for myself or what anybody else could think about me because I have that thing for myself because I know that my Father in heaven, he knows if I serve God or money. And he, I believe, longs to see more examples in all of our lives of how we are saying to the world around us, no, I don't serve money. Money serves serves me, and I serve God. And then he goes from there, say, hey, if you're rich, be rich in good deeds. And then he says this crazy word right here, to be generous and ready to share. Ready to share. That's why I asked, are you ready? And we don't live like that, do we? Ready to share? (laughs) Like, if an opportunity to share comes up, we'll think about it. <laughs> but we're not sitting here going, I'm ready, Jesus. How many, how many of us, we got a stimulus check, and we were like, thank you, Jesus, I am ready. We heard, look, we all knew it was coming, all right? How many of us, knowing that money that you did nothing for, well, you kind of did something for, um, money that you weren't expecting is coming your way. How many of us went, Jesus, thank you for this. I cannot wait to get this. I'm ready to share this with people in need. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty because I didn't have those thoughts initially either. But he says, if you're rich in this world, and friends, that's all of us. That's an all-skate type of thing. That's every single body. We are rich in this world. Be ready to share. Be ready to give it away. Be ready. And so if you're a married couple in this room, that's my big challenge to you. Do something this week to figure out a way where you can actually get ready to give something away. Get ready to share. It may be like, we're going to get ready to share by creating a budget, and then we're going to learn how to tithe. We're going to learn how to give. There's multiple ways you can give here at MCC. You can give in person. You can give online. You can go do it and set that up however you want. Maybe for you, it's saying, hey, we're going to get ready and see what God would do through our marriage if we continue to be or learn how to be, and maybe for the very first time, generous in giving. Maybe it's not to a church. Maybe it's to somebody else in your neighborhood. Maybe it's something, but you got to find a way to go, God, I'm ready to do this. And I can tell you from experience, the first time, It's going to be the hardest time. It'll get easier from there, like everything in life. Are you ready? The last word I'll leave with you is Philippians 4.19. Paul's talking. He's talking about who God is. He says, my God will meet all your needs, all your needs, friend. Let this sink into your heart. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. The riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. See, in a second, we're getting ready to to baptize some people. Three baptisms happening here today. 
And what's happening in these baptisms is these people are reaping the benefits of heaven being poured out on their account. Them being paid for. Their old life being able to be washed away and risen up new as a new creation. Something brand new. Shinier than any car or pair of shoes. Brand new. Not because of anything special they've done. Because of what Jesus poured out and how he bankrupted himself of his righteousness and took on all of our sin, declaring our account now paid for, and it is justified just as if we have never sinned before in our lives. And as you watch these people be baptized here in a second, I want to ask you the question, same question I've already asked, but in a different light. Are you ready? Are you ready to be baptized? Are you ready to stop living for your ways? Are you ready for something new to happen? Pursuing a house, pursuing a car, pursuing a whatever. Why don't you pursue something that's, that's way newer and way better and will make a way longer, lasting impact. Pursue a new life and get baptized today. Give your old life to him. Let it be buried in that water and be raised up as something new. Before we do that, we're going to receive communion. I'm going to ask you as you're, as you're there just to remember the price that was paid for you and allow that to be something that leads you to be a generous heart and live a generous life. And then I'll be up there in a second in the baptistry. And that's how we're going to end today. We're just going to end by, we have three people who, get, who are getting baptized. And listen, um, the, the last young lady who's getting baptized, um, today, this is awesome church, today is both her birthday and her rebirth day. So that is awesome. So like, you got to celebrate like birthday hard for that one, okay? Um, go crazy, folks. Um, let's pray, take communion, and I'll see you in the water. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your grace being poured out on us um, so much today. Uh, we feel it in the room. I think you're healing things in the room. Uh, you're, you're, you're nudging husbands towards hard conversations they've been putting off for a really long time. God, and I thank you for that. You're, you're nudging uh, wives towards, towards conversations that they've been putting off for a long time. You're protecting uh, singled people or divorced people, God, from uh, thinking their past or even their future, God, is all determined by what somebody else thinks about them, God. And I thank you for just wiping all that away and reminding us of how you feel about us. So in these moments, Jesus, we pray you be glorified, that you'd move in the hearts of those who are finally coming to the place where they're ready to give their all over to you. In your name, Jesus, amen.